This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And yes, indeed, this is the Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector, your host. And today we have an interview, a conversation, a colloquy with one of my favorite people uh, who understands these things, David Smith, who's the Washington correspondent for The Guardian. Uh, David understands the United States, but he also spent years and years in Africa, uh, where he was the Guardian's correspondent, and we got to know him in Johannesburg, obviously, but he, I think he tracked, uh, up thousands and thousands of kilometers of travel and probably was in almost every country on the continent except ones that were involved in active warfare. Maybe he was there too, I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, he's been in the United States now for several years, uh, watching carefully with a slightly quizzical eye at the madness of America. Um, but, uh, his spouse is American, so he's, uh, he has special insights in, into the ways and wherefores of America as well. Uh, David, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Um, not surprisingly, our topic, uh, or one of our topics for today, we must inevitably look at the results of the midterm election. That is that two year election, that election that comes two years into a president's term. Uh, as far as I read the news, virtually every one of the results for all the different congressional and Senate seats and other places, governorships and so forth, almost all of them are finished now that the, uh, the ranked voting in Alaska finally produced, uh, winning candidates, uh, in, in the, uh, in their elections. The Senate, uh, Lisa Murkowski gets to return a Republican. One of those rare Republicans who, who voted against Donald Trump, uh, during the impeachment trials and Mary Patola, who is the, uh, the first Alaskan Native American duly elected representative, uh, from Alaska. And now she's been elected for a full term. Previously, uh, she was, fil- she was, uh, occupying a seat that had become vacant. Um, these are noteworthy accomplishments uh, in in a variety of ways, but the end result, of course, is that the Senate, uh, the upper house, remains demo- uh, in Democratic hands and may be slightly solidified uh, once the runoff in Georgia takes place uh, early next month. And the House of Representatives, the lower house, is now going to be held by Republicans, but only barely. And most of the candidates that Donald Trump endorsed at, for the Senate, for the House of Representatives, for governorship, for everything on down to dog catcher, I guess, most of his candidates lost. How, how would you describe what, what the results were? What, what did this mean? It was a big surprise. Um, I think many pundits and opinion polls had uh, predicted what's known as a, a red wave um, in the sense, of course, that Republicans uh, are red and Democrats are blue. Um, uh, that's how they're portrayed on cable news and so on um, in a sporty kind of way. And um, uh, historical trends had suggested Republicans would do much better. The uh, The party that holds the White House 
typically loses a lot of seats. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Joe Biden's approval rating was low, is still low. And um, many people seem to have complaints about the economy. So all the ingredients were there for Republicans to win the House of Representatives by maybe 20, 30, 40 seats and to also take the Senate. And it uh, it did not work out that, that way. The, the red wave became more like a, a pink uh, splash. And as you mentioned, uh, yes, they did win the House, and that's significant. And they're, they're relishing the prospect of uh, retiring Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker. Um, but by a very narrow margin, and that's going to, I think, create headaches for whoever is speaker, probably Kevin McCarthy. Um, it'll be two years of chaos potentially with, uh, the far right, uh, dictating terms and him trying to cut deals and with very little room for maneuver. And then, uh, even more disappointing for Republicans, they did not win the Senate when they had so many conditions in their favor. Um, and yes, a, a lot of people are blaming Donald Trump for this. Um, many of his anointed candidates uh, flopped, uh, including election deniers, people who back Trump's lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And um, you see now um, at least some Republicans finally beginning to question Trump's stranglehold on the party and saying, look, this guy... He led us to defeat in 2018, led us to defeat in 2020, now again in 2022, surely three strikes on your out. Um, just by pure mathematics, uh, this guy's on a losing streak. We should um, maybe try someone else. And so we, we could see a struggle for the Republican Party. And just last week, I was at uh, Trump's campaign launch at Mar-a-Lago in, in Florida, and you know he's running again for president already, very early for 2024. But um, I think he had hoped when he first scheduled that campaign launch that um, Republicans would have done very well and he could ride the momentum. And instead, the opposite happened, and uh, he did it in the shadow of disappointment. And um, far from clearing the field, I think we probably will see quite a few challenges to him in 2024. There are people that I have been reading here, uh, members of uh, what I refer to as the commentariat, I guess, uh, from newspapers that range from the Washington Post to the New York Times to various local newspapers uh, to The Economist uh, to your paper, uh, almost to a man and woman uh, the columnists are saying that going forward, it's now the, the soul of the Republican Party, if, if such a thing can can be conceived, uh, is now up for grabs and is subject to a bitter uh, internal struggle uh, looking forward to 2024 uh, and the presidential election. Is that an accurate view in your in your, in your opinion? Is that is that realistic or are we? Um, even if Donald Trump is retired off to his well-earned rest in a rocking chair and a straitjacket, uh, sorry, that, that's a little bit snarky, isn't it? Uh, that somebody who has the same ideological positions as he does will inherit the party regardless. Is there really a battle for the, for, for what constitutes being a Republican? Not much of one. I, I do incline more to that latter view that uh, the battle for the soul of the Republican Party has already been lost. 
in many ways and the uh the more traditional moderate establishment wing your george hw bushes your john mccain's that republican party has died or at least it's gone away for for now and um you know one political commentator i, I interviewed just about the other day said um the 2024 Republican primary, it's going to be a choice between, uh, Trump and diet Trump. And I, and I think that's right. He, uh, whatever happens to Donald Trump, the man, I think, uh, Trumpism, uh, really still utterly dominates that party. And, uh, a prime example of that is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. He won re-election in a landslide, uh, nearly 20 percentage points as Governor, um, he is seen as the most likely challenger to Trump for the nomination, but, um, he became governor with, uh, with Trump's, uh, help. Um, early on, he made a TV ad where he had his child building a pretend wall, just like Donald Trump's wall. Um, he shaped himself in Trump's, uh, image. And he's made a name for himself with quite a lot of Trump style tactics, um, as in assailing the media, sparring with them. Um, this notion of owning the libs, which means you know, deliberately provoking and angering liberals and people on the left. Uh, recently he went to war with a Disney corporation. Um, he, um, uh, he, and his central, Defining characteristic really is a, a war on uh, wokeness. Um, again, this idea of uh, liberalism, um, consciousness about race and, and other issues. Uh, he, he likes to be a provocateur. So I think, you know, he may be seen as a, uh, an upgrade <clears throat> of, of, of Trump, a more refined version. Uh, some people have called him Trump with brains, um, perhaps a bit more polished. Um, so not very, che- not very cheerful. <laughs> Uh, he's not a very cheerful man. No, he's not. Um, unlike Trump, he may actually master the levers of power. He may take an interest in government and that might actually make him more dangerous in terms of actually, you know, getting stuff done. Uh, but he and, uh, Mike Pence, the former vice president who could also run, who after all was at Trump's side for four years to this day, he's still trumpeting. Achievements of that administration. Um, he's very hardline on abortion, for example, which, by the way, I think was a, a crucial issue for Democrats doing well in the midterms. Another possible candidate is Mike Pompeo, and so it go, goes on. I, I think it's um, it's a Trump-defined party, even if Donald Trump himself uh, is no longer seen as the best messenger. Before the election took place, uh, in the run-up to it, and as everybody was chipping in with their view as to what mattered and how it was going to play out, uh, the, it was sometimes framed as a collection of competing ideological agendas on the Republican, uh, side, the sour, uh, the so-called sour economy, inflation, uh, immigration out of control, crime waves bursting out everywhere versus uh, the question of threatened reproductive rights and the very nature of democracy on the part of the Democrats. Um, Think about that for a second, but first I'm going to take an ad break, uh, and we have 
sponsors to be nice to and public service messages to be responsible for. And we'll be right back, and then we'll hear your response to my question. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we're back in the deep dive in conversation with David Smith, Washington correspondent for The Guardian, old friend of many in South Africa, because he, of course, lived in South Africa for a number of years as The Guardian's Africa uh, correspondent, now based in Washington, D.C. And just before our break, I posed the question to him of the idea that there were two very different sets of of issues that appeared to animate the 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 election uh democracy and it's being threatened reproductive rights and it's being threatened on the one side and the quality or circumstances of the economy rising inflation crime and immigration on the side of the republicans and supposedly the election was about which of those two sets of of views one embraced as most important donald uh, david what I almost goodness, almost said Donald there. <laughs> He's captured everybody's mind. <laughs> I think um, I think there's a, a lot of truth in in what you're saying, and I, I wrote um, an article along those lines of the build up to the um, election. Um, you know, in the so-called good old days, twenty, thirty, forty years ago, I think, in theory at least, you would have both parties debating the same issue. They would say, okay, this election is all about the economy. Here's our approach. Here's the other party's approach. Now you, the voters, should decide. We were, we had a common language on the same battlefield. And what was striking this time in a, in a very polarized America is that it, it almost sometimes felt like two elections going on in parallel. And as, as you say, uh, Republicans had their set of issues. Which were mainly, uh, the economy and inflation, um, security at the US Mexico border and, uh, rising crime. And then Democrats had a separate set of issues and their talking points were about, uh, threats to, uh, American democracy, uh, reproductive rights after the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade that enshrined the right to abortion and then maybe some other things like the climate crisis and and so on and um and 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 yeah you had this uh this divide um uh and you saw it in the way that democrats really didn't want to talk about crime and border security much and some of the republicans uh tied themselves up in knots trying to talk about abortion or trying to avoid that subject uh um and um and you know and and in the end i think um the democrats emphasis on um abortion rights and democracy took a lot of commentators and pollsters by surprise as proving pretty effective um i think the, you know the conventional wisdom had been oh maybe abortion has faded as an issue over recent months or and maybe you know democracy january the 6th voting rights it's a little bit too abstract and it won't resonate with people as much as how much money they have in their pocket and, and so on. But, but in the end, um, those were powerful for Democrats. I, I think it's also notable though that, um, although Republicans talked a lot about the economy, they didn't really provide many solutions of their own. 
So even if you were dissatisfied with Joe Biden, if even if you worried that the economy was going the wrong direction, um, I, I think some voters at least kind of saw through the Republican rhetoric and realized, well, there's not actually much of a policy here. What are Republicans going to do for me that Democrats are not doing? Um, so yeah, that, that was important as well. And then I think the other factor that was significant in the election was, um, a, a traditional one candidate quality. Whereas, you know, putting all those issues aside, there were some races where Republicans in particular just had bad candidates. Um, you know, the celebrities, no political experience. I'm thinking of people like Dr. Oz, um, a, a TV celebrity doctor. Uh, in Pennsylvania who, who lost, um, and, uh, and, and, and that was a factor too. Going forward, now that we have put, uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz and some of the others, uh, out to pasture, uh, I don't know where he goes in the future. He can't go back to the Oprah Winfrey show. There is no Oprah <laughs> show. He can't, he can't go back to selling vitamin supplements on television absent some sort of place to do it. This split government that we now have in the U.S., one one party controlling one half of the Congress, albeit very narrowly, and the other party controlling the other half, albeit even more narrowly, um, it's going to have some effects, obviously, on the way the president's program or proposals or initiatives uh, get carried forward and or not, I guess, and if you were to listen to the words of Kevin McCarthy, the man who would be Speaker of the House if things go his way, and some of the other Republican uh, congressmen and senators, they will launch an unending series of investigations into uh, Hunter Biden's, the president's son's business dealings, the debacle of Afghanistan, regardless of whether or not it was a for president debacle or just Joe Biden's fault, um, the inability to control the border, uh, and so forth, uh, sort of a, a constant circus of, of investigations. It's Congress's prerogative, but how is this going to play out in terms of making the president's, uh, term of office uncomfortable or in, almost even, uh, unable to do anything of substance or, or moment? Yeah, things are going to get harder for Joe Biden now, but I think the White House was fully prepared for that and always expected to lose the the House. So apparently they they've been building a team of uh, lawyers and spokespeople ready to defend against these allegations. Um, uh, in the first two years of the Biden administration, many would argue he got more done than expected. Some some say you know. The, the most successful, most far-reaching legislation since uh, President Lyndon Johnson in the 60s, um, and that included coronavirus relief, uh, a bipartisan infrastructure law, um, uh, Chips Manufacturing Act, uh, various other things. Um, and some of those were bipartisan um, and actually included Republicans. And so, uh, in theory at least, I think Biden will hope to continue at least some of that in his next two years and, and try and win over some Republican votes um in the House and, and Senate. Um however I you know I think this administration's best days are probably behind it. And that was certainly true for Barack Obama, for example. Um in his first two years he got healthcare done, but then 
the following six years were a pretty tough slog up against Republican obstruction. And um, similarly now, Biden, in the coming two years, he's going to face a party who are focused on trying to defeat him in 2024. So they're not going to hand him many victories at all. And, and yeah, House Republicans with uh, the likes of Marjorie Taylor Greene on the right calling many of the shots. Um, I think legislating is going to be much less of a priority than precisely, as you say, this, this barrage of investigations, which are, um, I mean, mostly about political grandstanding and, and again, trying to damage Biden. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot more of the name Hunter Biden. I think the president's son, he's, uh, he's going to be in the news constantly and, They'll be trying to make him appear before Congress to testify of what was on his mystery laptop and what are his business dealings. As you say, uh, Afghanistan will be there. I think um, uh, maybe the coronavirus pandemic, uh, vaccines, masks, Dr. Fauci, all this will be um, up for grabs. And um, it, it probably means two years of Washington kind of grinding to a standstill, lots of uh, lots of gridlock. Um, could get pretty nasty and, uh, and, and ugly uh, as we, as we barrel towards, uh, 2024. But the, I think the great danger for Republicans here is, uh, overreach because, uh, uh the lesson is in history where, uh, two previous Democratic presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, both lost many seats in their first midterm election. And then bounce back two years later to win the presidency again. And um, if Republicans are not careful in similar fashion, uh, they will overreach with these investigations. And again, the public will see through it and there'll be a backlash and uh, people will realize these were these were stunts for Fox News. Um, these were not really about, for about the good of the country and. They could actually generate sympathy for for Joe Biden, um, and it uh, you know it may backfire. We are speaking with David Smith, who is the um, Washington correspondent for the Guardian newspaper, a uh, longtime resident in Johannesburg, where we got to know him, and then he moved off to Washington to explore another country, another continent, uh, on our on the behalf of readers and listeners. And I've always enjoyed speaking with with David about many things from from theater to uh, uh, the nature of the universe. And we'll be right back after this important message. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is Brooke Spector, and this is the Deep Dive, and we're in conversation with Guardian Washington correspondent David Smith. Um, we're talking about the way uh, the U.S. government will lurch forward after this midterm election. Let me let me shift your emphasis a little bit for you, if I might. Uh, how is this going to affect the way uh, the United States carries out its foreign policy uh, initiatives? How how will it uh, play out? in terms of America's dealings with China, uh, in terms of dealing with Russia and therefore the war in Ukraine, uh, with Iran, perhaps, uh, and even uh, in terms of climate change uh, uh, issues and uh, resources and budgets. And just uh, along the way, 
is there anything to be said about the way um, the U.S. and Africa will interrelate uh, in the coming several years? Um, I think uh, just to take one of those first, uh, Ukraine, we see some concern and debate about what this means because um, Republicans have such a narrow majority in the House that it's widely expected that the Trump wing, the far right, will uh, wield a lot of influence over Kevin McCarthy or whoever is Speaker. And uh, there are certainly some in that wing who um, are quite now openly saying uh, we should not fund Ukraine's war against Russia, perhaps not even another dollar. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a congresswoman from Georgia, who um, is a, an extremist conspiracy theorist, um, an alarming politician in many ways. Um, she has recently said, let's, you know, cut off funding to Ukraine. She's demanded an audit into funding and, and, and so on. Uh, that certainly is cause for concern. Um, however, uh, you know, people I talk to about this are divided. Some say, yes, we should be worried. Others, uh, tend to play it down and think, well, actually, uh, the vast majority of the Republican caucus, um, still supports, uh, Ukraine, um, realizes the danger of, caving into to Russia. Um there's a, there's enough of the old Republican foreign policy backbone there and that's that's illustrated for example by someone like Mitch McConnell, the Republican minority leader in the Senate, who's staunchly supportive of uh the efforts to to to, to back Ukraine. So I th- I think that's that that's definitely one to watch. Um possibly something that some Republicans will will shout about but then fall into line. Um and uh it it you know points to the deeper question that the world still worries somewhat that's you know what if Donald Trump came back as president in twenty twenty four then and all bets are off um i think on um on on china um there's a fair degree of uh bipartisan agreement on um taking a fairly tough line on on china. Um, interestingly, uh, some would say one of the few positive things Donald Trump did was, um, focus American attention on China, impose on tariffs. Um, and, you know, Biden has maintained at least some of those policies and, uh, um, some of the Republicans, particularly including those running for president are even harsher and even more extreme, um, in their, in their rhetoric. Um, I, I don't see a, a huge shift on China policy based on these midterm uh, results. But, uh, you know, again, we shall see. It could be chaotic. It could be unpredictable. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Republicans now control the House and there are many climate skeptics there. Um, many who are absolutely scathing about, for example, the, the agreement the other day that Wealthy countries should compensate poor countries for the effects of the climate crisis. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that could 
turned sour in in some ways. I mean, the good news, of course, is that um, Biden and the Democrats um, made progress when they when they had the opportunity and passed the uh, the biggest uh, climate package in American history um, earlier this year. Uh, so that I think that takes a bit of pressure off uh, for now. Um, but again, moving towards 2024, yeah, it's it, it's a worry that uh, you know can America maintain its uh, commitments here, and I think probably a relief that they uh, they held the uh, the Senate. And um, you know, I very very rarely hear Republicans um, talk about U.S. policy towards um, Africa. Um, I think maybe, you know, they, they pay some attention to, uh, America losing ground to, to China, um, in influence in, in Africa. But, um, no, I, um, I, I don't think these results have a, have a huge impact on it. I think the, you know, the Biden administration, um, every now and then has, you know, summits of, of African leaders. Um, but it, uh, sadly remains, you know, relatively low on the list for um both parties when they're putting out fires in uh Ukraine and worrying about uh Iran enriching uranium and uh all the other crises in the world. Um so I think that will probably continue. Can I shift your your attention just for a minute to to your home country of uh, the United Kingdom, or some people like to call it now the disunited kingdom. Um, I know we, we wanted you to talk about the United States and its election, but I, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to get an ins- at least a, a modest insight, uh, from you, uh, about the, uh, the stability of the, of the, uh, the, the current Tory, uh, government, whether it's got more staying power than its immediate predecessor. And I guess the question that most interests me is there, is there even the remote possibility of a rethink on, uh, that Brexit? Yeah, it's, um, it's always been a fascinating period. Um, just around the time that I moved, well, yeah, as you can tell from my accent, I am British and I grew up there, but just around the time that I moved from South Africa to the United States, um, there were these twin political earthquakes, uh, the rise of Donald, Donald Trump in America and uh, Brexit, uh, Britain's decision to leave the European Union all around 2015-16. Um, and both have continued to have aftershocks and uh, we, we still see the, the fallout. Um, at least America self-corrected and uh, elected Joe Biden and, as we've said, Democrats still control at least the Senate. Uh, Britain, though, I think is still um, picking up the pieces from Brexit, which myself and my newspaper certainly thought was a a tragic mistake, uh, cutting ourselves off from the European Union instantly, extra financial costs uh, when doing trade, extra paperwork and bureaucratic burdens, and uh, you've seen this play out in the, the British uh, economy, which is in uh, worse shape than uh, many European countries, um, and also play out politically, where um, there's been this rapid succession of British prime ministers 
um, culminating this year where um, Liz Truss lasted all of uh, 45 days and um, in that time almost managed to, to wreck the British economy with some uh, pretty wild uh, Reaganomics uh, trickle-down extremism. Uh, now, un- unlike the US, now in America, you know, apart from impeachment, when you're landed with a terrible president, you're stuck with them for four years, as we saw with Donald Trump. Whereas in, in Britain, it's somewhat easier to say, no, that was a terrible mistake. Let's get rid of them and replace them. So that's putting an optimistic spin on it. But, uh, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't there, but, uh, yeah, everything I read and hear, total and utter disarray in British politics from a conservative party that traditionally is very well disciplined and, all about um, winning elections. Um, I think um, Brexit is at the root of it in terms of uh, upending the, the, the normal order and um, leaving people trying to, to cope with this. Now uh, Rishi Sunak is uh, prime minister. He's actually uh, richer than the monarch, but very notably he's also the first British prime minister in, in history who's a person of colour. Um, as things stand, I think, um, the conservatives appear likely to lose the next general election to, to Labour. Um, but what's interesting is even the Labour Party is reluctant to talk about, um, Brexit. It's so politically incendiary. And so right now there does not appear to be any immediate prospects of reversing Brexit or going back to the European Union. And yet, you know, as the, Economy faces a very bleak winter, as Britain may well lag behind other countries. Certainly, opinion polls suggest now more and more people in Britain think Brexit was a mistake. They wish it had never happened. They they wish they could go back. So, I think this is one of those you know time is a great healer situations. I think possibly in in five years, in ten years, in fifteen years, it it will surely become a legitimate subject again. And, uh, and perhaps, you know, that, that wrong can be righted. Uh, but, but for now, um, yeah, no immediate prospect. And it's just a case of, um, Britain digging out itself out of a hole in a, in a sort of momentous year that, of course, also saw the, the death of the queen after uh, 70 years on the throne. Some people have told me that what it, that if you boil down the turmoil in Britain, uh, to one phrase, uh, it's Britain's uncertainty about its future place in the world. Does that seem fair to you? Sure. Um, and, you know, it was an American who famously observed it, it lost an empire and still hasn't found a role. Um, so Brexit is arguably the, the most immediate manifestation of uh, Britain's existential crisis, uh, losing its imperial power and you know, dominating a, a third of the globe in a very uh, unjust way um, and sometimes criminal way and its exploitation of resources and so on. Um, and then, you know, the World War Two was... Um, both a hugely traumatic event, but also forged a certain national identity, which the, the Queen was, was part of. And, and, and to this day, it's sort of seen as the touchstone of British heroism and, uh, you know, 
people talk of Winston Churchill and, and so on, but, but where do you go from there as your, as your power and influence shrivels and, and declines? Um, and as America, China and other countries, uh, are, uh, ascendant, um, I think you sometimes see the emotions channeled into, to football or soccer, if you like, um, that, uh, that jingoism, that, that, that nationalism, um, but, uh, but yes, well, what is Britain's role in the world? It's, it's working with the US on climate. It's still strong militarily, but it's, um, it's eclipsed in many ways. Um, and you will appreciate the fact Britain still does theatre very, very well. Um, maybe the, <laughs> maybe the best in the Absolutely. world. So Absolutely. That's, that's something. Um, and, uh, I mean, when I, when I visit Britain, I'm, I'm struck that, uh, London, is um a fantastic global city i mean uh gives gives new york a, a run for its money these are the two great world cities the downside of that is that um it feels like there's a, an ever growing gap between london and the rest of the country you know so much wealth and power and prestige and uh excitement and electricity is is centered in in london the the rest of the country can feel left out and um as this British identity crisis and psychological unraveling continues, we see um, people in Scotland, uh, many of them wanting independence again, uh, especially because of Brexit. You see uh, unresolved questions of Brexit in Northern Ireland and growing talk that maybe Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland will, will reunite one day. So it does feel like an implosion that... Uh, not only did Britain lose an empire, but it could lose its own identity, identity as these, these countries break off. Um, and, uh, yes, it's, uh, it, it needs to settle as, as other fallen empires have into being satisfied as, you know, population of 60, 70 million, small island, um, as a, you know, second tier country, if you like. I'm glad you mentioned soccer. Just, uh, although I, it, the sport itself confuses me completely watching 22 people run back and forth for an hour and a half, uh, for often absolutely no result. I've never figured this, this fascination out, but we are engaged in, whether we like it or not, the FIFA World Cup. Um, and, um, now, uh, soccer football has become much more of a national sport in America than it was when I grew up. I mean, it barely, barely heard of it as a child. Uh, but it seems to me that, um, Americans have rallied more behind the women's team in a way than they have the men's team. And I'm not quite sure I understand why. That's one question. But the second one is, um, what do you make of all of these uh, uh, restrictions and bans by the host country of Qatar on booze, on armbands, on uh, the range of things? And my third question is, what's your prediction as to who's going to come out on top? Um, on the first question, um, maybe Americans are making a calculation similar to the Republican Party at the moment. Um, which is that they, they like a winner. They like victories. And, um, 
just going back to the soul of the Republican Party, it's it's not like they've had a Damascus moment where they discover morality and ethics and realize, oh, Trump is a racist and a sexist and a xenophobe accused of sexual harassment. The the pure Republican calculation seems to be one of pragmatism that this guy's a loser and we want to win elections. And that's why there's this change of heart. Um, similarly, the, the American women's soccer team has been very successful over the years. I think they've, they've won the World Cup a few times. Um, and whereas the, the men have, have really struggled. Um, they've certainly never won, um, the World Cup. Um, and we'll see how they do, um, this time. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, um, in schools, um, soccer is taking off, I think, for both boys and girls. So, uh, it could yet, um, expand. Um, on the second question, um, I think it's, it's, it's sad to see, um, Qatar, um, clamping down, uh, on, expressions of of gay rights uh so that's a human rights um issue uh yeah whenever i watch world cup my mind goes back to south africa in 2010 which i was there for which was uh a lot of fun i i remember moments such as uh the head of fifa dragging me out onto a soccer field to give a speech to south african football fans about um why the western media is so nasty to south africa um which i had to talk my way out of that one um and and i know some people said fifa really imposed itself on that world cup and and took over but however it works um i think south africa did a great job and it surprised the world and um it's a it's a happy legacy uh qatar uh, it's the first time the world cup has been held in the middle east um it's a it's a repressive undemocratic regime um it's uh particularly hostile um to gay and lesbian people uh it's good that uh, i think germany and other teams are taking a stand and we we should have that kind of political expression the only note of caution i would introduce is um we should all guard against uh hypocrisy because Throughout its history, the World Cup and the Olympics have often been held in countries with bad human rights records or lack of democracy. And, and, you know, when those events are held in the United States, it's, it's not as if the United States has a spotless record. I mean, thousands of people are dying from gun violence. Shouldn't we talk about that? And, <laughs> and, uh, America's actually. <laughs> <laughs> and even more recently, we've seen, um, the Winter Olympics in, in China. Um, the most recent World Cup was in Russia. So, um, I'd hate to see, uh, criticism of Qatar be turbocharged because of, you know, prejudice against the Middle East. Uh, yes, there are terrible problems. Yes, they should be called out, but let's, um, let's be consistent in our critiques of, of Russia and China and other host nations as well. Um, and on your third point, um, you know, the default, uh, everybody's second favorite team is always Brazil. I'm going to predict Brazil. Um, they haven't won it for 20 years. They have an especially good side this time. One of their main rivals is Argentina. They've already lost to Saudi Arabia in a big upset, although they're still in the tournament, of course. Um, and I feel like you know, if I 
tipped my own team, England, I'd be kind of putting a curse on them. So I'm not going to do that. But I'm I'm obviously rooting for them against the USA on um, Friday, which is going to divide my family. Because as you mentioned, I'm married to an American and a lot of her family are watching that. So <laughs> that, that'll be an, an interesting afternoon. The, the last time we watched England versus USA in the finals was actually in uh, Rustenburg, I think, in 2010, and it finished in a, a one-all draw. We're speaking with David Smith of The Guardian. He's the Washington correspondent. Uh, we'll be right back after this uh, message from uh, important sponsors. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And this is Brooke Spector, and our guest is David Smith. Washington correspondent for the Guardian newspaper, longtime resident in Johannesburg and Africa generally, and now living in Washington. Time is against us, David, but I want to ask one last question of you. Uh, you mentioned it very briefly, uh, uh, gun violence. Uh, just the, within the last couple of days, there, there has been a spate of what we are almost normalizing the idea of uh, you can set your you can set your watch by uh, by gun violence at this point. Uh, I mean, it's a it, it's a I have no other way to describe it other than a blot or a curse on the American uh, system, psyche, and 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 circumstance. And I, I don't. There's no way out of it uh, unless rules laws are changed. But there's a constituency that stands in the way of that. Where, where do we go from here? We've got about a minute or so if you can come up with a solution for us. <laughs> um, no, it's so hard because it's, it seems so deep in the American psyche and culture, the, um, perceived as, as freedom to, to carry arms and to, to illustrate your point. I mean, my own children do drills in school in the last year. There's been at least a couple of shooting incidents within a mile or so of my, my kids, um, school. Uh, everybody goes into panic mode when that happens. Uh, just reading a story today about how the White House has put out about 15 or 20 statements under Joe Biden commiserating with victims of, of multiple shootings. And, you know, these are going on um, every day and it sets America apart from the world. I mean, this is not happening on the scale in, in other countries. And uh, I think the only solution is tougher um controls on who is allowed to own a gun and you know ending crazy rules where you know you're not allowed to drink alcohol but you are allowed to own a gun at a, a certain age um and uh you know when you look at history amazing things have happened in terms of you know who is allowed to vote and who is allowed to marry society can change and so it it really does have to change uh, on on this issue, however long that takes. I'm with you on that. Um, you know that that arc of justice thing is is real, um, but uh, the um, uh, the roadkill from this, to use a, a bad metaphor, I guess, uh, is 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 extraordinary and and uh, appalling. Uh, David, it's been a pleasure to speak with you again. I, I Wish you were a little closer, but you know, eight thousand kilometers is this. But we do it electronically. I hope to have you back again uh, in the future uh, to to review uh, American politics, developments, and and a, and a large look at the world. We've been speaking with David Smith, Washington correspondent for the Guardian newspaper, 
longtime friend uh, of us and uh, a great observer of the United States and all of its excitements and peculiarities. Thank you again. This is Thank Brooks Spector. This is Brooks Spector, the deep dive, and we'll be back again next week.